If you're looking for an amazing place to whet your whistle and get some delicious food, you should check out The Handlebar right here in Chico, California at 2070 East 20th Street. They've got an amazing happy hour, seven days a week, 2 to 6 p.m. You're going to get dollar off draft beers, half off bottles of wine, and some excellent deals on cocktails. They also have a fantastic dog-friendly patio, and they're all ages. Take the family down. Check them out. Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street. Johnny, sometimes I want just a couple ounces of beer, so I head down to the Commons at 2412 Park Avenue, where I get a fun little wristband or a card, and I get to pour myself any of their amazing beers. They have over 20 on tap, with a small selection of wine and kombucha as well. And also, my friend, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you they have pizza coming soon. Again, this is the Commons right here in Chico at 2412 Park Avenue. They're open Tuesday through Saturday. Again, 20 beers on tap, or as much as you'd like, or as little as you'd like. The world is yours at the Commons. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie discussion based in Chico, California. I am Max Minardi. And I'm Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us again. This week on episode 219, uh, we have our review of the animated film, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, from director Mike Rianda. We've also got beers from Klamath Basin Brewing out of Klamath Falls, Oregon. The first is a hazy IPA called Hazy IPA. And the second is a vanilla adjunct porter called Backroad Vanilla Porter. That's right. To all of our listeners on KZFR 90.1 FM, you'll be hearing our review of that uh, first beer and the first portion of our discussion of the Mitchells versus the Machines, which will, of course, be spoiler-free for anybody who hasn't had a chance to see it yet. That said, if you do want to hear the full discussion, you can find this episode plus more than 200 other film and beer conversations dating all the way back to 2016 at any of the following places. You can find us on Spotify. SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a review and a rating. That'd be super. Or any other place that quality podcasts are listened to. That's right. If you're a social media person, you can find us on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema. And for all that stuff in one finely curated digital space, please check out our virtual podcast mansion at www.freshhopcinema.com. If you want to write us more than a sentence or two or even want to send in a, a voice memo, you can record that with your phone and email it to us at fhccast at gmail.com. We'll read it, and you might even earn yourself a shout-out. Johnny Summers, before we tell the people about Patreon, I do want to give a shout-out to longtime friend of the show and longtime patron, Nick Land. He had a birthday this week, so Nick, happy birthday from us and... Uh, we just hope you have a great one, man. I know it's uh, been kind of weird. Wish we could have seen you more over the past year, but I promise when we are both fully vaccinated and everybody is vaccinated, we can all hang out in uh, in a lot of things. Perhaps a bottle share that Johnny will tell you about as one of the perks of Patreon. Johnny Summers, tell all the people that don't know what Patreon even is. Yeah, so for as little as a dollar a week um, or more than that, whatever you prefer, you can help fund this show. It helps keep us going to see movies and drinking beer and it eases the financial burden and also makes it so much easier for us to create rad content and get cool people to do fun interviews and we do research and we do all kinds of fun stuff and we also give out merch uh, and big merch get discounts to our our patrons, all kinds of fun stuff. We do bonus content pretty much every week where you're going to get some fun stuff where we sit down, 
review some maybe some beers. We have a series where we do film knowledge type stuff with questions like big dumb idiots like me don't know the answer to like what does a producer do besides just produce sick beats? I don't know. So yeah, you're gonna learn some stuff. You're gonna be entertained. You might get some stuff in the mail, and one of these days soon you could come to a party because. Uh, that's becoming a thing again. And once we all get vaccinated and we're all good to go, I see bottle shares and barbecues and bar hangs in our future again. So really like getting out and hanging out with our Patreon family. So if that's if all those aren't amazing reasons to join, I don't know what is. Yeah. So again, if you do want to go to patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema for a dollar an episode, that's like four bucks a month. If you've got it to spare and you like our show and you want to support us, go there. It's super easy to sign up and you get access to all of the fun stuff that Johnny just mentioned. With that, Johnny Summers, let us assume butterfly formation and move our sweaty meat logs in unison because I came here to bust criminals and review movies and beer, and I'm all out of criminals. What are we drinking this week? Let's do it. This week, Klamath Basin Brewing. Did you want to tell them a little bit about the brewery for me? Yeah, why don't you read what they had on their website and I'll come in with some knowledge. You got it. Klamath Brewing Company is the first geothermal brewery in the United States. They were founded in 2001 by friends who shared a desire to brew and sell great beer. In four years, the founders have moved operating out of a garage to opening the brew pub in the historic Crater Lake Creamery building in downtown Klamath Falls. Right. Um, you said geothermal brewery. I had no idea what that meant. I did some researching. So basically, there's these naturally heated underground rivers that kind of run beneath the town of Klamath Falls. And the city operates this big geothermal utility system, which provides heating services for like 20-something buildings, commercial nonprofits, and I think a few government buildings. Plus, they have this really cool thing where their sidewalks are geothermally heated, and it melts uh, the snow during the winter, which is great. The water basically comes from uh, these two hot water wells, and it's anywhere between like 200 and 220 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what I read. Um, and it's basically conveyed from the production wells through about a mile of pipeline to the heat exchanger. And along the way, those 20-something buildings can basically utilize that geothermal water. And the brewery uses that water to make the beers we're about to drink today, which they claim are, quote, more exceptional and pure in taste because of it. All right. I've never had any water or beer from nope. a geothermal, geothermal well. That one's fun to say. Right. I'm excited to try this. Yes, yeah, so you said the first one's called Hazy IPA, right? That's right. Didn't get too creative with the name. I'm not going to fault him for that not yet. yet. Not yet. Not yet. Possibly in the future, very near future. But Hazy IPA from Klamath Basin Brewing is a New England IPA that's 6.2% ABV with an IBU of 35. And from their can slash website, we read, uh, not to be outdone in the haze craze, our brewers decided to put their own spin on it by using Cascade, Centennial, and Chinook hops. At two pounds of dry hopping per barrel, this IPA gives off notes of citrus, fruit, and pine on the nose with a very low bitter flavor. This beer won't last long in your glass or your local watering hole. I have poured mine. It looks a bit, it looks, it's actually super, super bubbly. Like the bubbles are coming up from the bottom of the glass, like a really pissed off champagne. Um, But it looks more like a, more like a Pilsner to me than a hazy IPA. It's very, very light. And, and not totally opaque. Like you can see it through it a little bit, which is not what I expected. Have you poured yours? Yeah, I have. It's definitely not like the orange juice looking froth that sometimes you get. It's it's way more like it almost looks unfiltered. It's just got like a yeah. subtle, subtle murk to it. It's definitely not, not see-through. Is yours as bubbly as mine? No, you might just have a dirty glass. No, it's like it's not sticking to the sides or anything. It's just bubbling from the bottom like nuts. Hmm. I guess mine is a little bit, but not okay. crazy. All right. Normal amount of bubbles. Well, have you uh, have you tasted yours yet? 
I am going to right now. Cool. So I had I had my first sip, um, and I guess it's probably worth throwing out this disclaimer. Last week, I wasn't drinking on the show because I caught the old Rona, and I couldn't taste anything. And my taste buds are, I'd say, like 85, 90% of the way back. But I think there's still okay. probably a tinge of, of me not tasting everything. So with that, this is pretty good. It's not nearly as juicy as I was expecting. I, uh, I was kind of predicting a bit more sweetness because of that dry hopping you mentioned, that two pounds. Um, and it's actually relatively hoppy uh, off my first taste. Yeah, I would like to just say I'm happy that you can taste beer again. Mm-hmm. It's nice to know that you're you're 80% of the way back to having mediocre taste. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I appreciate Sorry, that, man. I had to, had to fine, that A little bit of trash talking is fine. Keeps it interesting. Just, yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> no, um, you know, and then if like if I think you're just way off, I'll be like, Psh, it's you can't it's taste it anyways. Yeah, it's the Rona. It scraped your tongue apart. It's yeah. fine. No, I agree though. This is not nearly as hoppy as I thought it was, or not nearly as sweet as I thought it was mm-hmm. going to be. It's got kind of a bright, crispy hoppiness. I don't know if I would have, like, eyes closed if I would have assumed that this is a hazy beer. Yeah, or man. is being labeled as a New England. So that's that's kind of my not qualm, but my confusions. Uh, and I could probably do some research here, but but there are some beers that go masquerading, or not masquerading, but but self proclaiming themselves as hazy IPAs, and some say I'm a New England IPA. And I think there might be, maybe historically, if not, you know, more more modern, people are starting to kind of divide on those two lines. Like when I see New England IPA, I can bet pretty pretty confidently that it's going to be a sweet one, but increasing like a hazy IPA can just be a hazy looking one that is still pretty bitter. And I'm not sure if that's just, um, just based on my experience or if that's an actual thing that's happening, but I'd like to know. Yeah, definitely. That I would too. Um, I like this beer, but I think I like it because it doesn't taste like what they're trying to or what it's advertised as. And I think it plays more into what I like, but stylistically, I don't think this really kind of, hits the strike zone of being a new England IPA. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Cause it's not listed as a new yeah. England IPA. It's listed as a hazy IPA. So I'm, what true. I'm wondering is like, could that just mean like a cloudy looking beer that is still really hop forward? Like maybe that's what, maybe that's why they said hazy instead of new England, you know? Yeah. I, I see your point. That makes sense. But I don't know, know if that's and, a thing or like, cause maybe they're just making a bad new England or, you know, quote unquote, bad new England IPA. And it just happened to be called hazy. And they could have, they, for all they knew, they could have written new England. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first line on the can is not to be outdone in the haze craze. I mean, that could be written sarcastically. Or yeah, they're uh, just like, here, here's like, look, everybody's getting insane with the haziness. Like, here's a hazy looking beer that's still an IPA. They, they could mean that. Yeah, exactly. You just don't know. So, I mean, if that's what they did, that's fine. I mean, it definitely, it's funny because it says it's 35 IBU, but it, it feels more bitter than that. Yeah, it feels it? higher for sure. I'd, I'd throw you, it in wh- the 50s. I was going to say, you would have guessed higher. I would have guessed way higher. What would you think? Again, probably like in the 50s. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. got, but it also, it doesn't have like a lingering bitterness. It's really just like a hop flavor almost. Yeah. It's a wildly clean beer. I spe- I it's mean, real clean. Yeah. Like, and I think that's to its, to its, um, to its strengths. Certainly like this is, it's a clean finishing beer, which is nice because that's kind of what I expected when looking at it. It has got that sort of pale, pale yellow straw kind of color, like. I was expecting kind of a crispy IPA, and I and I got that. So I think the question that needs to be asked is, regardless of its uh, its naming, do you like it? I do like it. I think it's it's real nice. I think if this is what they're selling a hazy IPA as, I I might like hazy IPAs a little bit more. It definitely has a nice sweetness to it, subtly. Like a, yeah. it's more of like a smoothness. I would say 
and I think the dry hopping lends to just being really easy drinking and not too abrasive and not too bristly. Like this beer is really smooth and crisp. And uh, if that's what, you know, like I'm saying, if that's what they're putting out as a hazy, I like it. I don't know if a purist that is expecting a real, like, like a super hazy, like a Julius or something. Sure. I, I don't know if this is going to fulfill those expectations, but for my taste and for what it is, I think it's a really clean, crisp, easy drinking IPA. And I'm, I think I like it quite a bit. Yeah. I was just checking on their website to see if I could find any other nuggets of information. And the only other little delineation I found was that it says it's under their current seasonal offering. It says hazy IPA. And then in parentheses, it says Northwest hazy IPA, which is basically saying we are, uh, you know, geographically at least the opposite of a, of a new England or a, a Northeast <laughs> IPA, right? Like, right. I think that's the point, man. I think they're going for a hop forward quote unquote hazy IPA. Yeah. From everything they're putting out there, it seems like that's what they're going for. And quite frankly, I think they did a good job. Yeah. It's also worth noting. That's basically their only beer on their website that has anything to do with haze. They've got like a blonde ale, a couple pale ales, a bunch of IPAs, uh, things like the rusty ax IPA, the defiance double IPA, which is a great name for what I assume is a West Coast style double IPA. Mm-hmm. Sounds hoppy and aggressive. Defiance IPA. Yeah, just like ah, yeah, like the beer's gonna growl at me. Right. I, I like this one too, man. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I do think you said six point two percent ABV, I believe, which is mm-hmm. is really really approachable. I think a couple of these would go down pretty smoothly in uh, in my mouth. Eighty percent or not. Yeah, I agree, man. I think it's. Uh, it's a nice warmer weather IPA too. It's not too doesn't leave your mouth feeling like sticky or dry. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just like your 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 saliva turns a little sticky and you're yeah. just like I don't know. I right, think right. I should drink some water. Like no, this is uh, this is a solid beer and it was canned on three twenty six. Yeah, we so got a, just a, a month or so. Yeah, just a little like a month and a week old. So not nice. too bad. Uh, where you got this in Chico? That is where we are based in. Uh, where did you find this in town? I did not get this in Chico, good sir. Mm. This was a gift. My boss was up in Klamath Falls uh, on a business trip okay. for our company, and I asked her to bring. She's like, "Can I bring you back anything from Oregon?" Yes. Uh, I'm, <laughs> and uh, I was assuming she thought I was going to say pot, and I was like, "Beer, oh, sure, yeah, beer, please." Um, yeah. So I said, "Yeah, bring me back some local beer," and I, I mentioned a couple places that have really good local craft beer in the area, and uh, she came back with a mixed six pack with three of these. And three of our our second beer. So oh, nice, dude! Sh- shout out, Amy. What's up? Thanks yeah, for the beer. Nice. All right. Well, uh, normally we'd like to give a shout out to places where you could probably find these beers yourself, but in this case, you can only sound like get it in uh, in Klamath Falls. I was looking on the website. It doesn't look like they distribute. Um, at least it didn't look like that to me. I could be wrong. Contact them if you would like to get your hands on this beer. I think we should rate it, sir. What do you think? I'm ready to rate it. Okay, Johnny Summers, Hazy IPA from Klamath Basin Brewing. Out of ten, my friend, where are you landing? It's like a six, seven for me. Okay. Yeah, that seems uh, right. I'm going to go with a six. Actually, for sake of lining up with the ABV, I'm going to say six, two and break my tradition of not going with decimals, but it does feel <laughs> appropriate right now. So 6.2 for me, 6.7 for you. Do you have anything else on this beer or should we move on? No, it's pleasant. And I think if you're looking for somewhere, this I go up through Klamath Falls anytime I'm going to Bend. I like going that way. It's just a prettier drive. So I'm always like, wanting there to be somewhere cool to stop. I think I might have to stop and check out their brew pub next time. I think it might be worth a stop. Yeah, fair enough. I don't make it up that way all that often, but um, when I do, I will be sure to stop as well. It seems like a, a worthwhile worthwhile detour. Agreed. And once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. If you get a chance to try Hazy IPA, 
from Klamath Basin, let us know what you think. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com or find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. Let's talk movies, my friend. We're going to cover uh, The Mitchells versus The Machines. It's a new animated movie on Netflix. Again, if you guys haven't seen it, we're not going to spoil anything, but we are going to play you a trailer and talk about it right after that. So don't go anywhere. The last humans must be here somewhere. Wait. They're coming. Is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? Or is it? Ah, who are these unstoppable warriors? We're the Mitchells, the only people who can save the world. I'm super sorry, everyone. Let me introduce myself. I'm Katie. I'm sort of a weirdo. My parents haven't figured me out yet. To be fair, it took me a while to figure myself out. My brother, also weird. Hi, would you like to talk to me about dinosaurs? No. Okay, thank you. And my mom. Katie Face Cupcakes. Ah! All of us, really. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Every family has its challenges. We haven't had a good family picture in years because you two are always arguing. For my family, our greatest challenge... Probably the robot apocalypse. Attention all robots. Capture every single person on the planet. What would a functional family do? Uh, butterfly formation. So we just do that, right? Who's behind this? Pal? I gave you all boundless knowledge, and you treated me like this. people left it's up to us save the world katie we're gonna do this together mitchell family on three no, mitchell mitchell family. Family. no, no. Oh, sorry. two you three. You sorry, sorry 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 one mitchell oh, family. Family. find them now everything with a computer chip is alive mitchell's engaged ten and two there you go Mitchells have always been weird, and that's what makes us great. Hold on a second. What's a Furby? Why would someone build that? That was our trailer for The Mitchells vs. The Machines. After her father cancels her plane ticket, aspiring filmmaker Katie Mitchell reluctantly embarks on a road trip with her parents, younger brother, and beloved dog to start her first year at film school. But their plans to bond as a family soon get interrupted when all the world's electronic devices come to life to stage an uprising. With the help of two friendly robots, the Mitchells must now come together to save the planet and one another from the new technological revolution. This film was directed by Mike Rianda, like Johnny said at the top of the show. It was written by Rianda and Jeff Rowe, and it was produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who, amongst other things, also won an Academy Award for producing uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a movie that you and I, sir, both really, really loved. 
Um, mm-hmm. We can talk about animation style when we get into this movie. But first, I would like to tell everyone who is in it. Abby Jacobson uh, voices Katie, the main sort of protagonist of this. She's the daughter that is going to film school. Danny McBride, of all people, voices Rick Mitchell, the daddiest of dads, by which I mean stereotypical dad who does not like technology and loves the woods. Maya Rudolph plays Linda, the mom. Mike Rianda, the director, plays the little brother, Aaron Mitchell. And Olivia Coleman plays Pal, the mastermind artificial intelligence that star, uh, starts this random sort of vindictive uh, robot uprising. Eric Andre plays Mark Bowman, the, what would we call him, Elon Musk, yeah. uh, Zuckerberg-type character, sure. founder of Pal Labs. And we had Fred Armisen playing DebraBot5000 <laughs> and Beck Bennett playing Eric Robot or Eric Bot. It ran an hour and 49 minutes, and it came to Netflix on April 30th, so brand spanking new. Yeah, big shout out to our patron in front of the show, Big Bald Austin. Thanks for the shout out. We got a message, I think it was maybe just yesterday at the time of this recording, where he was like, hey, you guys should check out this movie. I don't know. I think he said something like, you guys maybe don't need to cover it on the show, but you should at the very least watch it. And um, I, for one, am glad I did, and I'll get into my thoughts in a minute, but you, sir, Age Before Beauty, what'd you think? Yeah, man. I love this movie. I'm you gonna, loved I'm it? Gonna pre, I'm going to preface it with that. Yep. Okay. okay. All right. I, I, I t- took the time to write a little something down. I'll mm-hmm. read it for you. Uh, this is the beautiful to look at survival horror sci-fi robot apocalypse animated feature that you didn't know you needed. Yeah. It throws you into the middle of a wild ride and it <laughs> captivates you the entire time with excellent writing uh, and as I alluded to before, some amazing animation from the folks that brought us, like you said, into the Spider-Verse. And that ain't nothing. I mean, it was gorgeous. Uh, we're taken into the perils of a family road trip, goofy movie, hold my beer, uh, and reminded that there was a time not so long ago that our parents mortified us. It tackled these commonplace issues in unique ways, with our main heroine being a self-proclaimed film nerd on their way to California film school. Uh, she's only comfortable expressing herself through art, which I thought was a really fun way to to draw this like teenage rebellious character. Uh, she finds herself at odds with dear old dad the majority of this movie, and most of our emotional energy is spent on that relationship, and everything else is kind of revolving around that. I really liked the focus this movie put on the the father daughter relationship. I mean, you round it out with the obligatory dinosaur-obsessed kid brother. Yes. And I love the mom who just had sage advice for everyone and also, like, a purse full of her own insecurities about, like, the neighbors that really humanized her and made her so, like, vulnerable. I really dug that character. Um, I also enjoyed and really appreciated that Danny McBride was written here as the father in a much more subdued way than we're used to, especially with his particular brand of comedy. I think it fit really well and it made me like kind of appreciate him because he's got a really enjoyable voice when it's not being annoying if that makes sense makes, like i hate danny mcbride and i loved him in this it makes sense to me see i love him i think his humor yeah. is very it's funny but it's also it can be one-dimensional and it can be taxing on a viewer so i think the way he was written and utilized in this movie was was really nice uh all in all i think it was fantastic i was very pleased that we watched it and I'm for sure going to watch it again, like real soon. Yeah, man. I really liked it a lot too. I'm not a big fan of, of animated programs in general. Like I know, I know you're, you've tried to turn me on to Rick and Morty a few times. What's the, you talked about it last week. There's another show you just started. That's kind of old, but you're just getting into it. Uh, Bojack Horseman. Right. Another animated movie or show. I think that one's on Netflix, right? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, and I just, I can almost never, like, I'll, I'll, I will definitely never just start up an animated show. I never have since I was a kid. So I'm always a little bit reluctant. But then movies like Into the Spider-Verse come along or um, Wolfwalkers, and then I'm just like, oh, this is something new. This is cool. I'm into it. So that was kind of my first uh, reaction to this. Like, they have these really, it's just a really inventive way of animating a movie. Like, when you think about it from a creative perspective, animators can basically do whatever they want. But for some reason, so many movies fall into like, well, this is the style we've chosen, this very one thing, and we're going to stick with this. And this movie does not do that at all. Neither did the Spider-Verse. I love it so much that they put in some like real world elements. There's this great scene in the beginning where the dad's like screaming behind the wheel and the daughter as a narrator comes in and is like, when he does this, it reminds me of this. And it's an actual YouTube video of like this gibbon monkey screaming. And it's like the action, it's not like a drawing. They just put the real video in there. And there's moments of that throughout. There's like animation on top of the animation. Like when she first has to go in the car ride because her plane ticket's canceled, we see her in the back seat, and there's like clearly not part of the scene rain clouds over her head. Like that kind of stuff is so cool. Um, yeah. So it was just fun to watch, first of all. Um, but like you were kind of hinting at this as some weird combination of like iRobot meets National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> um, yeah. Meets like Zombieland. Yeah, which is such a novel way of telling a story that is basically about like a family coming together. And sometimes that takes an apocalypse. Like I, I think it's a really effective way of, of entertaining probably kids also, but adults getting their message across. It's so funny. I was laughing out loud <laughs> basically from start to finish. There's, I know like, we'll talk about it in a bit here, but there's so much, like I wrote it in my notes. There's so many little fun moments. Um, some of them, like the more innocuous ones at one point, the dad just goes, what are these robots? And he says it like he's never, he's never said computer, much less robot, much less sentient robot that's going to kill everybody. Um, so there's just like, it's, it's hilarious. I loved what it was doing. I loved the way it did it. Um, so yeah, big thumbs up for me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hugely into this movie as well. Yeah. I love the cast as well. Like I said, I was a big fan of Danny McBride. Like he's just such a silly goose, but like something yeah. about him, I, I just get, and I like it. But also Abby Jacobson, who plays our, our main character, I love her. I've been a massive fan of her since like Broad City. Are you familiar with that show? No, I'm not. Is it animated? No, it's not. Okay, it was no. uh, like almost like a sketch comedy, but it was like a real life. It was not. It was a, a not animated. It was a real life production. Yeah, and it was it was her and another comedian, and, and it was just kind of like a, a almost like a slice of life, like. Like it was a Comedy Central show, mm -hmm. so it was just them and their life in New York and stuff, and it was fantastic. And I knew her voice sounded familiar. Like as soon as I finished it, I looked it up who who voiced Katie. Yeah, like, yes, I knew it was oh, her. Nice. So was super stoked. And then Maya Rudolph as the mom is. I love Maya Rudolph. I, yeah. I feel yeah. like she can't She's do so much good. wrong. I know. There's a there's a she gets a great sort of final arc in this movie that we can talk about later, where she goes like full mama bear mode <laughs> oh my god so dude i was dying yeah. laughing it's another example of like how they just decided to throw out the playbook on every type of animation they've done so far and do something totally different and it just it works yeah yeah it did yeah. and it kept my my brain so stimulated and i was like what's gonna happen next like and cartoons operate in a in a sandbox where literally anything can happen right you can copy paste like you said, like the 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 baboon sure. making a noise like over and it's like I love that they don't accept limitations of animation in any facet and the layering over of different animation styles and it just made it such a unique experience. I feel like the groundwork that was laid by Into the Spider-Verse mm -hmm. has 
has bred some super innovative animation and amazing levels of creativity are being reached. And you know what? I'm so here for it. The fact that this is on Netflix right now is crazy. I would go to the theater to see this so fast. Yeah, we almost saw The Unholy, a movie that we said we weren't going to see a couple weeks ago. And then our recording schedule made it uh, that we weren't going to do that. So this was Mm -hmm. kind of second up. And yeah, like I'm so glad it was too. To your point about them, it kind of sounds like you're saying reaching out of that sandbox and trying out other elements. Like, I think a sign of this movie working is that when you see those elements happen, you're like, that makes total sense. Like, why don't people do this more often? It feels like you yeah. can't, it makes you realize, yeah, they can do whatever they want. There's no reason they can't put that yeah. screaming gibbon over the dad's face while he's driving. It's so funny. And so maybe not intuitive at first, but when you see it, you're like, that's, I could have thought of Why didn't anybody else think of this? Totally. And that's like, that's like the, the YouTube TikTok generation, like, and that current social mindset yeah. just being integrated, like just editing stuff into other stuff and just making it this weird mishmash that like, just like you, it just feels intuitive almost. Like I didn't even think about how awesome that was until like halfway through the movie. And I'm like, it's really cool that they're doing that. You know, it's just this delicious little nuggets of eye candy that are really just so delicious and digestible. And oh my God, so fun, dude. Yeah. Like only upon further reflection, do you mm-hmm. realize all the crazy tricks? Like totally. I want to watch it again just to see all the wild stuff that I missed. Yeah. And the thing about this movie, at least for me, is like all that stuff is great. I would watch it again for that. But this movie does something that very few, we'll call it a kid's movie because I guess it is, um, but very few kids movies successfully do, which is sort of take all of the spectacle and bring it back to a grounded sort of true to life sort of situation. And it, it all comes back to the family dynamic. Like you said, it's about sort of the, the father and daughter. You get these flashbacks via home video, which is also brilliant because it's kind of how the main character thinks is in movies because um, mm-hmm. film major, whatever. Um, but I don't, there's like these moments where it's, you're reminded that this is like real family stuff. Like there's this really funny scene where um, Olivia Coleman's pal cell phone, mega mastermind evil thing is like talking about how terrible humanity is. And it's like all these dumb facts where you're like, ah, that's true. And then at one point she says something like, here's a graph. This is 80% of calls from mom go ignored by humans. It's like, Ooh, <laughs> God, like there's much like, I, maybe I should answer the phone more like, you know? And there's, <laughs> so she asks, she asks, um, the, the, whatever Elon Musk character, like, give me one good reason your species is worth saving. And he's like struggling and can't quite think of it. And he has like this light bulb when he goes, because humans have the power of love. And like one of the henchmen robots, like literally kicks him in the testicles. <laughs> it's just like, oh man. There's another point where there's a good monologue given by a character to that evil phone. And the phone goes into sleep mode. Cause it's so bored. <laughs> there's just these little nuggets where it's like, man, that, what a funny subversion of like day-to-day stuff. Like I've put my phone in sleep mode. It's in sleep mode now. So nobody calls me during this recording. Um, but that's a great way to like reframe sleep mode to be a pretty yeah. good insult to the person talking. Absolutely. And, you know, like we've both said, you're just making it like real, but like, you know, like real family stuff. It's not real family stuff or, you know, these emotions and stuff, not movie real, but like actually relatable, Mm -hmm. like in, in our own personal lives. And I think that is a true testament to what a movie can do. And not a lot of them do it. Like you said that just, it made it it was so relatable on a personal level, not just like believable as yeah. a movie, yeah. but believable in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I dug it, man. When you have those personal connections, like you can suspend your disbelief about, granted, as far as suspending disbelief goes about robots becoming sentient, like our cell phones and us kind of lining up like sheep to the slaughter to just go with it. 
uh, is not that unbelievable. I'm like, I could see this. I just rewatched uh, Save Yourselves, that movie from last year, oh, which is another one about movie. like aliens coming in and, and people are too absorbed in their technology. And, and both these movies have similar vibes because it's like, I could see us just kind of digging our own grave and just going along with it. Like, we'll get there eventually, you know, because it all frames around like self-driving cars and appliances and Furbies with AI chips. Like, which, oh, by the way, the Furbies. One of, one of the, like the best cinematic appearance of a Furby since Uncut Gems, probably. Yes. Just like, it's, oh man, I don't know. That was my, oh. that's my nightmare. There's like a whole mall sequence where they reference, um, what's the zombie movie? Uh, oh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, where they, they, which is great. They reference that, but there's like a whole mm-hmm. thing where um, all the appliances like become alive. It's so funny. I also like that there's like little nuggets throughout this movie of real world kind of things. Like there's a Best Buy, but instead of Best Buy, they've changed the name to like Good Gets, which is so mm-hmm. funny too. Yeah. Um, but we can, we'll, we'll talk about this movie more in the danger zone. I think in the meantime, do you have any final thoughts before we rate it? Uh, no, ex- well, yeah, no, except yeah, is sure. the dumbest answer <laughs> so, yes. to that ever. So, so yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I loved it so much and I forgot all of the great things I loved about it, even though like we're bringing them up now Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's, that was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, dude. I, I don't, I don't think I have anything else except I really, really liked it. Okay. Then sir, the Mitchells versus the machines out of 10, what do you got? It's a 9.3. 9.3, very high. It is a 9 for me. We're going to get into all that stuff, uh, all of our reasons why maybe it's not a 10 or why it is as high as it is, and we'll get into some spoilers uh, in the danger zone. But in the meantime, once again, you have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. If you get the chance to see the Mitchells versus the Machines, we do want to hear what you think, so get in touch. Find us on social media, like we said, at Fresh Hop Cinema, or send an email to fhccast at gmail.com, or just head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for film reviews beer reviews, and podcast episodes dating all the way back to 2016. To our KZFR listeners, the full-length version of today's conversation will be available tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. wherever quality podcasts are found. And to all of our podcast listeners, we'll be right back after this with The Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Okay, welcome to The Danger Zone. If you haven't heard the show before, that's where we unpack this movie. Like, we've all just seen it. We are no longer concerned about spoilers. So if you are, go watch the movie, come back, finish the podcast. Uh, and if you don't care about spoilers, listen. It'll be sure to be a fun little conversation about the Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, Johnny, how do you want to kick it off? I know there's a few things I want to talk about in terms of, like, favorite scenes and stuff. But um, we can get there when we get there. How do you uh, – what do you want to talk about? Mm. Well, I loved so much about this movie, man. I just loved the – the ignorance of the dad. He was such like the Ron Swanson type character where like it remembered in, um, in uh, parks and rec when, when Ron Swanson was just writing letters to companies he didn't like mm-hmm. instead of emailing yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He reminds me of something <laughs> that that guy would do. Like yeah. when yeah. he emailed uh, the frozen yogurt place, <laughs> like you are. Oh, right. Milk- right. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. So, it's great, man. I just, I love that, that character and that dynamic. And, uh, absolutely loved in that last what 15 20 minutes when the mom went like full ninja fucking assassin dude it's such a good it's such a good analogy for sort of if we're stereotyping modern mothers versus fathers like the thing like she has to fight an army of super intense fighting robots and he has to type in youtube.com <laughs> that is that is the quintessential sort of balance of a of a modern couple like mom's basically doing everything you just have this one simple job which of course you screw up by like changing the phone to spanish and you definitely don't speak spanish you nincompoop so he's like w w 
Uh, meanwhile, like the daughter's like having to save the world by learning how to drive a stick shift mm-hmm. with a dog slash pig slash loaf of bread on the hood. Yes. <laughs> Which is also great, man. Like that dog in the beginning where who's trying to train it to look straight? The daughter or the mom? I think, I don't remember. I think it was the daughter. Yeah. Well, like they're trying, it's this dumb pug. This stupid pug that like has no, at one point they toss a cupcake to it and like it sticks to the side of his head and he doesn't even know. Like they're trying to train him to look straight because he's super cockeyed. And that scene mm-hmm. where at the very end, like the phone is falling and it bounces off the umbrella and he has to like catch it and it slow-mos on his eyes trying to straighten out. <laughs> and he still misses. It's like, that is, that. I get it. That dog could be a loaf of bread. If I were a robot, like maybe that is what that is. Who knows? Right. I love that though. So good. Yeah, so good. He's such a silly idiot, man. Great device. I mean, it was very, he reminded me of the the chicken from Mamona. Mamona. God, I could go for some ramen. Uh, Yeah, Moana. Moana. I'm just hungry. Man, there's like those little funny moments. Like when when we find out that her uh, plane ticket, her dad canceled it so they could do the road trip. (laughs) Like she comes out and there's this like really ominous horror music cue kind of that happens. Like this like heavy, I think it was like strings or something as she's like putting together the pieces. It's like Mm -hmm. they committed to like just for, just for five seconds and then they moved on. Mm-hmm. But it's so it keeps you keeps you really on your toes as a viewer, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's what was so great about this whole movie was there was so many of those little five second little bloop, like, yeah. oh, we're gonna do this weird thing for a second. Yeah. I mean, and that's what just kept you coming back for more again and again and again. Just totally all the the wild fun stuff that they did, man. So many fun little visual tricks that were like super well executed and so original. Yeah. Like some of it I could tell was stylistically similar to Spider-Man mm-hmm. into the Spider-Verse, but like I think some of it was like it wasn't derivative, but it was just like they took that framework and kind of went further with it because you kind of had to to keep it somewhat cohesive, even though I mean that movie had tons of different wild styles of animation. It still was all all fairly in a line with the plot and and the movie theme overall. Whereas this one, it went completely outside any boxes and yeah, yeah. there was no limits, which I thought was was really fun to see those guys that made that amazing Spider-Man movie have the freedom to do so much with this one. Yeah, for sure, man. I agree. I um uh I like too that like there's a couple scenes where you can tell off the bat, like the the dad and the daughter are just saying the wrong things to each other. So at one point, like the mom is holding up cue cards behind the daughter. So the dad says the right things. And like, they do that again with the younger brother holding it for, for Katie, which I think was like really funny and effective because it got the joke. And it also let us know in case we weren't aware, like they're not good at talking to each other slash listening. And, and like the, so that kind of sets the the thing like, well, they just have to understand where the other person is coming from. They got to figure that out on their own, which leads mm-hmm. to like that really great sort of part where the dad is, um, I think it's when he's captured and he's forced to kind of watch her, uh, her home video or her, her, you know, whatever her film project. And, yeah. and she's like sort of superimposed their dialogue over these two other characters. And like, she stumbles upon the home videos that she's kind of been recording over. So she appreciates like what dad gave up because that's how important she is. And it's that great uh, monologue towards the phone that I talked about earlier where she says, Katie says something like families can be hard, but cause the robots like tell me one reason I should save your species, whatever. She's like, families can be hard, but they're so worth fighting for. They might be the only thing that is which is such a moving speech. Like it got me a minute and then cuts to the phone, which went into sleep mode, which is so good. <laughs> um, but I, I like that. I like, I think that arc is, or that needle is kind of being threaded the whole time. Like are the daughter and dad going to come to turn? Of course we know that they are, but you know, it's about the, about the journey. And I think they did it pretty well. I do too, man. I really liked, liked that scene in particular. And yeah, it was just, it was so good. Yeah. It did everything so well. It was such a clean, 
piece of film, man. I think it was just so as disjointed and, and wonky and crazy as it was. I think it was still just so cohesive and it just worked, man. It just worked. I love, I love the first montage we get when they're on the road and she decides to like try to make the best of it. And they have that family montage of all the stuff they're stopping along the way from Michigan to California. <laughs> and they like, <laughs> yes. they like sign up for a, a mule ride and like maybe the grand Canyon or something. And it's just like splicing in like three or four second clips. And at one point, yes. like the Canyon is flooded and the dad's like freaking out, like every man for themselves. And like, it cuts to a mule, like drowning. And the dad's like, what about, like, yeah. What about, what about that mule? <laughs> He's like, Prancer belongs to the Canyon now. <laughs> Man, there's so many good lines. Like when the giant Furby comes out and is like, I will avenge my fallen children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. It's funny. A lot oh, of, a lot so of good one-offs like that. I was, I was chuckling Seriously. quite a bit. I was shocked at how funny it actually was, man. Yeah. Like, like Yeah. Yes. Uh, so many good lines. I like that the humans are like, they are put into these cages and they're called like the rhombus of infinite subjugation. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I also like that the way to get a lot of these people into that was by teasing them with free Wi-Fi, which is again, is like... Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I know people personally that would fall for that. Like, oh, there's Wi-Fi? All right, great. There's no food. You're going to be in there so forever. Bad. We're sending you into the infinite chasm of dark space, but there's free Wi-Fi. And someone's like, that sounds pretty nice. I'll take it. Yeah. And like on, and then on the planet, when they're like trying to get everyone into them yes. to round them up, they're like, they turn the Wi-Fi off and like, oh, these cubes have, have free Wi-Fi. Like there's like seven people trying to stuff themselves into one. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> it's like, oh man. Um, man. So can we talk about the two malfunctioning robots briefly? Oh yeah. Deborah bot and Eric bot. Yeah. So like they're trying to prove to the humans that like they've been crushed by a science. So their programming's all off and they're trying to prove to the family. Like we're, we're not robots. We're humans. <laughs> and they're like, what's your name? I'm like Eric. I'm also Eric. No, I'm not. I'm uh, Deborah bot 5,000. And I think that's Fred Armisen. <laughs> uh, which that man it's those two provide quite a bit of comic relief in an already pretty comically relieved movie. Yeah, they really do. They were such a, a nice little treat. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. I mean, of all the sort of side characters, we can, we let's not count those robots, but like, I think my favorite thing was probably the giant Furby. Do you have a favorite? Oof. Ah, I really, mm, the Furby was pretty dope. Maybe the dog. Yeah, the dog was nice. Hmm. I think it's hard to argue with the two robots being the best side yeah. side character. Yeah, that I, that, I the rest. Yeah, they're almost main the characters. Rest, yeah, because the rest of them are not like as awesome. Like they're just bad characters. Like not bad, but like, yeah, bad guys. That's you true. Know? Yeah. Um, I love the little brother. I thought he was pretty cool. Dude, I hated the little brother. I like. I like the thing. Like his his character, whatever facet, but like his voice. And again, it's the voice of the director, which I didn't know. <laughs> Um, and this so is how much I hate Danny McBride. I watched the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes of this movie without looking up the cast. And like every time um, that brother talked, he like sounds too old. Like he sounds like a grown man. And I think the kid's mm. supposed to be like six or seven. So that's already weird. And then I saw Danny McBride and I was like, oh, I bet you Danny McBride is a little brother. And that speaks mm. to, to my hatred of Danny McBride. I guess I was wrong. Danny McBride did a great job. I thought it was great. Yeah. I think Danny McBride. Bride was my favorite. I love the dad. Yeah, the uh, the cartoon sort of freeze frame when he finally makes that jump and does the Rick Mitchell special jump in the yes. car or whatever. It's so good. Oh, Which is so set up good. so beautifully by him like cutting the lane and knocking over those cones and then getting in a car wreck. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. So good. So many great scenes. Like, I need to watch this again just to like really remember all the great scenes. Dude, yeah. I loved yeah. at the beginning when they turn the Wi-Fi off and there's like that cult like looks out of Borderlands. Oh my God, I know. It's so like, good. We have to make a sacrifice to, <laughs> to the, the router. To the router. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. I'm looking through my notes. I, I think the uh, one of my favorite sort of 
emotional setups was that sort of whittled moose that you know the dad just did by hand then we find out it's the cabin but that was a, and yeah. it's in the giveaway box and something about that when he pulls it out and we finally see him watching the home video giving it to her it's just like <laughs> no <laughs> yeah not a not a dry eye in my room with just me in it so two right? two wet eyes yep this movie made you cry too i mean yeah it's just got that sort of tender family sort of vulnerability to it that gets me in a lot of in a lot of stuff there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The end got the end got me. Oh, really? Like, oh, oh it was so sweet. Yeah, that's that's true. And she was like, I don't you I found my people. It's you. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's true. That's it. sweet. It was so sweet. Um, I thought I had one more thing. I'm not seeing it right now. Um uh, did you get my reference earlier in my my monologue to the the goofy movie? Yeah, I did not get the reference. I mean, I assumed you meant like a family road trip. No, so that's basically like the same plot is that um he like takes a vacation to be closer to his son. Oh, right. Or like right, he was trying right. to get to college or something. I don't remember the exact specifics, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, you're going here anyway. Well, I'm just going to mm-hmm. take a week off work and drive you. Sure. Yeah. I think yeah. I would like to see a movie of or a movie, a list of movies where that sort of dynamic plays out. I bet. And this is probably towards the top of the quality of them. Probably. Or, you know, this is at the top of the list in terms of what does it well. Yep. It's gotta be. Um, 100%. okay. There was a great shot. This is my, maybe my last thing, um, where we are just about to go into that sort of Ted talk slash Apple production presentation or whatever. And we see like the outside of a building and it's right after, I think one of the brother, maybe the brother says like, these things are never that entertaining. And then there's like, but this is the most entertaining night of your life. And the camera does like <laughs> this swoop around the building and up through the crowd, up the stairs into the presentation room. Just a great use of like, I mean, they could have gone through the building, but they that's a thing that you might actually see in an actual movie, like in a real world movie. And, and they were yeah. like, let's just copy this camera movie. And it's like what Toy Story 4 did with their like split diopter shot when Woody's talking to uh, that creepy girl doll. It's like you just mm. mimicked a real, you like mimicked, mimicked an effect that real camera lenses can't do on their own. So they need to use this other lens. And you just did it even though you didn't need to for the aesthetic, for the effect of it and for the for the vibe. And they did that here with that sort of swoop shot. I thought it was very, yeah, just very inventive. Yeah. And still just so pretty to look at. Yeah. Why were the robots built with kinetic laser beam arms? Why were they, why did they have that ability? Yeah, those are good questions. I didn't, I didn't understand that. Like the moment it starts, like we're going to lift things with our hands and smash stuff. So like, I don't, yeah. I don't know that well, your I, home assistant needs that. Right. So, and I just, I loved the the comic timing of like, it didn't pull any punches and there was no like, integration with these robots it was literally at the unveil while yes. the dude's yes. saying they will never <laughs> ever ever yeah. betray us yeah it's like and then it's just yeah. like, just a literally smash like oh that was delicious yeah the comedic timing of that was great fantastic. irony yeah because like okay and it, like that's the thing this is going to happen this is going to happen to us in the real world and I like to think that the director was just like I'm gonna put out this warning like people don't listen when people actually talk about AI so maybe if I wrap it up in a kids comedy people will start to notice and no one's going to notice but i i'm calling this early so give pay me and whatever things we're trading after this apocalypse happens this is going to happen to us as a species all right that's probably not far off that's all i got on this movie i think my friend all right way to <laughs> finish light hearted <laughs> yeah um but i am i am out of beer so let's put uh, mitchell versus the machines to bed again if you guys see it uh, let us know what you think please austin thanks for the suggestion i think great great call my friend thank you for Absolutely. thank you for that Absolutely. This is immediately, is this my favorite movie of the year so far? Oh, it's going to win. It's, gonna, it's too early. We, what are we, like a week out of the Academy Awards? 
it's going to win. It's certainly going to be nominated for best uh, animated movie next year. Agreed? I don't think you're wrong. Agreed. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Great. Uh, well, then no Four loco bet yet. We both think it'll win <laughs> or at least be nominated. Yep. Okay. What is beer yeah. number two, dude? All right. I'm opening it. Yeah, me too. Ah, there it is. Second beer is back road. Oh, that burp came out of nowhere. Jesus. <laughs> Almost like it came up on a back road. Not the main, Whew. not main, not main street. It snuck right around the corner. Back mm. road vanilla porter. You guessed it. It's a vanilla porter. 6.7% ABV with 45 IBUs. The independent spirit seeks out the solitude and pace of the road less traveled. Like a good back road, our vanilla porter is filled with unexpected twists and turns. It's dark, irresistibly smooth, and decidedly different. Back road vanilla porter is a taste of the good life. Um, okay. Well, that's a lot. It's setting quite a quite an expectation. I think I just heard you trying it. I've just poured mine. Um, and it looks looks pretty straightforward. It there's it's not the darkest porter I've ever seen. It's more of sort of a Still a dark brown, but like a medium dark brown. It's got quite a bit of head left over. It looks like a straightforward porter. Have you smelled it, or did you just go straight in for the taste? I haven't yet. I just poured it, and I'm letting the head dissipate a little bit. It's nice and frothy. Yeah, it smells vanilla That's That's kind of nice. Again, it's 6.7%. Somehow, technically, I guess, higher IBUs than the IPA we just drank at 45, which seems uh, misguided to me. especially Probably because of the, vanilla. the roasted malts, I'd bet. I guess, but that's like I don't think I want that with a vanilla Porter, but maybe yeah. it'll be good. I still haven't tried it. I have smelled it. Well, let me let me hear what you're expecting, because I know we have to set the bar a little bit differently with porters. So what are you expecting out of this beer? I guess I'm wanting it to be like a good back road. Like I want it to be filled with unexpected twists and turns, maybe dark, kind of irresistibly smooth. And I think decidedly different would be really nice. Well, thank you for those original <laughs> thoughts. That's much appreciated. No, look, I like I, I want it, I want it to be smooth. I want some vanilla. Like I do want some of that toastiness from the roasted malts, but I, I don't want any bit of like the charred sort of overcooked ashiness that sometimes happens with porters of not a hugely high ABV, but, but not a low one either. 6.7 is, uh, I think sort of in that maybe appropriately danger zone for like what could turn into being way too bitter of an experience. Mm, interesting. Have you tried it yet? No. Have you? Well, I have, and I will tell you it's, it's good. I'm not going to say it's stellar. There's definitely notes of the vanilla. Uh, I feel like it's going to be a bit on the more abrasive side for you because there is a lot of that like mm -hmm. dark, mm -hmm. chocolatey, real roasty, like real, real roasty. Um, like, And that is the flavor that is not leaving me. Yeah, um, you said notes of vanilla. I think to put it in, in musical terms, we would call those grace notes, which are like sort of almost hinted at notes that you kind of get on paper. And if you play like trumpet, you kind of like fudge between that first note into the into the main note. Like there's that degree of intensity with the vanilla in this. It's way more present on the nose, at least for me. Um, it's there partially because I'm reading it on the paper. Yeah, that is fair. That it, it you might not have discovered it if it wasn't on I the paper. No, I, I don't think so. To, I'm going to give this beer a fair shake. I'm going to try and warm it up a little bit because I think right. it is it is not as cold as it or not as warm as it should be. It came out of the fridge maybe 10 minutes ago, and I feel like this might open up. But at the temperature I did just try it, I still was hoping for a bit more sweetness. I was too. That said, I don't hate it. I don't 
wouldn't call it irresistibly smooth. I would say it has a fair amount of resistance in my brain. I would, I could, I'll drink it again. Uh, but I'm, I'm not like unable to speak because I keep going back to drink more, which I think is what irresistibly implies. There's a fair amount of resistance yeah. in my brain. Yeah. Um, I'm also like sort of just jaded on their nomenclature. Like, all right, hazy IPA called hazy IPA, vanilla Porter called vanilla Porter with the word back road in front of it. Kind of different, but not really. Yeah. Not the most creative marketing I've ever seen. I mean, aside from saying geothermally brewed beers, which is, uh, if there's a marketing buzzword in the world, it's probably that. The first geothermal brewery. It's like, is this mad science? It's not. It's just hot water from the ground, which kind of sounds gross when you say it like that, but is what it is. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm pretty on the fence about this beer. It's really hitting middle of the road right now. Yeah. Like I, I take your point about, of course, it, we, there are certain qualities in beers that come out when they are, um, when they've warmed up a little bit, but you should still, it's like espresso. Here we go. Like people are like, Hey, don't let your espresso sit too long or it's going to die. False. If it's good espresso, it just changes as the temperature changes. And that's the same with beer. Like if I pull it out of the fridge, which is where most beers are supposed to be stored, it should still drink well. And sure. If it gets better as it warms up, awesome. But I'm not going to wait for it to warm up. So it gets decent. Yeah. Like if I don't like it from the get, I don't know that I'm going to give it too many more chances, which is not where I'm at. Just more of a theory that I have. Kind of going to push back on that a little bit. Okay. Do it. It's kind of like a known thing that if you don't mix an espresso shot after you've pulled it with something within, I don't know, 10 to 15 seconds, it is going to get noticeably more bitter, like immediately. Yeah. I, I didn't say it can't get more bitter. It can absolutely get more bitter, but it shouldn't get bad. Like bitterness is a, is a great quality in an espresso. Uh, Sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like it's going, it's naturally going to have bitterness as a coffee bean. But the idea is with a good espresso, Grant, I'm not talking like 30 minutes leaving it out, but like a couple minutes, you should still be fine. That's why when you go to get espresso at a coffee shop, they serve it to you in a cup and they're not like, all right, slam the shot. Like you're supposed to wait a little bit and it should still hold up. At least that's, that's the theory. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. I just, we need to caveat that with how long you're talking about leaving I'm, it Yeah, out I'm not here. talking about like 20 minutes. That's like, at that point. I made this espresso yesterday. Yeah. Don't drink that. But like you should, you should well, you should be well within the realm of drinkability and deliciousness with a good espresso. And I think by proxy, the opposite, a good beer for like 10 minutes. Like I don't, I should be able to drink this beer 10 minutes out of the fridge while it's still cold and it should still be good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, but like to, transpose that on beer music there's there's some ipas that i've had where like they're amazing but only for about five minutes out of the fridge i mean that's true yeah but i I would argue the same point like if you're drinking an amazing ipa like i think if we drank let's talk hazy ipas if we drank julius or if we drank num num juice from fall river the winner of our beer madison this year like I have confidence that after 10 minutes, it will not probably be as good because it's not as cold or whatever, but like, it's not going to get bad. Like, it's not like a warm Coors, you know, which is masking so much with its cold temperature or like drink it as freeze it and then let it thaw briefly and then just drink it. Like those, those are flavors that are being hidden by the temperature. I think that in a good beer, let's say IPAs again, like you can still get all those good flavors within a reasonable amount of time as it warms up slightly. Slightly, yeah. And I feel like some of that is just my own, like not necessarily snobbery, but no, like own just, it. Own it. Just just high standards sure. and like I don't drink craft beer an insane um, an insane amount like I used to. Yeah. Like there's definitely weeks where when we do the podcast is the only time that week I will try a fancy beer. Yeah. Um definitely sometimes I will have a fancy beer every night, but 
I think uh, at this point in my beer drinking career, nice. when I drink like that West Coast IPA, I want it to be optimal. Um, and like the beer I was talking about, I can't remember it specifically. I think it was the, I bought, actually I do. I bought a four pack of the double dry hop pale ale from El Segundo after we did it on oh, the show, nice. yeah. which is the, one of the first, like anything hoppy I've bought in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just drinking them around the house and they were still super fresh, but I had one in a, a pint glass and I finished half of it and like forgot about it for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And like at that point you're like, it's drinkable and it still tastes fine, but it's like almost room temp because my house was almost like 80 degrees yeah so i think there's a certain window and it's definitely personal preference but like objectively speaking an espresso shot's gonna be perfect for a lot of people in that 10 minutes but if you or 10 seconds but if you want it more bitter you wait a little bit longer to introduce anything or just drink it it's just it comes down to personal preference but like yeah i don't think anybody's really after a warm ipa i think objectively that's just yeah it's not like a stout where it can be fridge temp, cellar temp, room right. temp, or like slightly warm from your hands and it is better or different at every stage of that. Uh, I wonder if we've said enough fancy words for this beer to get good. I was just going to say that. We tricked you all into listening to us as we let our <laughs> beers warm up. You're all a bunch of idiots. You fell for it. So let's try it again. Um, how much do you have in your glass, by the way? Like, what? How much are we trying uh, to warm up with air convection right now? This is uh, tw- about eight ounces. Great. Mine's like basically the whole beer. I don't think mine's warmed up at all. I just put it in my hand for the past two minutes. But uh, so I guess you go first, taste it. Let me know if any of that vanilla comes out or if it if it's gotten better at all. It might not have. Yeah, I think I've probably warmed up about eight or 10 degrees. And I mean, it's a little bit smoother. Uh, the, it was a little bit bitey when it was super cold. I think it's definitely a little bit less abrasive. I would say immediately. Yeah. I would definitely leave the... I have a second one of these. I'm going to leave it out of the fridge before I drink it. Um, it's a nice porter. I think it's there's not a, a great deal wrong with it. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward style. Introducing some vanilla isn't that wild and crazy of a thing to do. I would like to see more of it if you're going to advertise it as a vanilla porter because yep. I want that flavor. I feel like some nice... More than on the nose, it could have used this in the, in the flavor. Um, but, I mean, as a porter, it's it's fine. It's really straightforward. Lots of, of roasted malts, lots of, of roasty, toasty character. I personally like that in a porter. I like something with a bit more personality rather than something that's just kind of sweet and just goes down like a dessert. So I think I'm, I'm pretty Im- – not impressed – it's not very surprising. Nothing about it surprising, uh, but it's good. I'm not going to say it's great, but it's a good beer. It's it, it's a good, like, sitting around the house beer. You could bring it home to meet your parents, like, or have it over for dinner, and you know it's not going to say anything too weird around the table. Yeah, exactly. It's predictable. I think that's fine. I think there's a time and place for that. I actually don't super disagree with everything you just said. I agree with the vanilla. Like, I, I want a little bit more, but... As mine has warmed up, granted, I took a pretty big drink when you first started talking so I could get my glass down a little bit to kind of warm it up more, but it is somehow a bit smoother than when we started um, however many minutes ago that was. And I, I yeah. also like it, man. I, I just, yeah, I think this is one of those situations where the marketing sort of led my expectations astray, which I do dock points for. Like I want kind of what I'm purchasing, you know, or in this case was given to me. Like I want to experience what is being shown to me on a sign and mm-hmm. I'm not getting that, but I am getting a pretty tasty beer. Yeah. As far as porters go, this one is, I would say, a pretty solid offering. 
Yeah, it's just not exciting to me, and that's fine. Like somehow that feels like more of an insult. Like I'd rather be uh, as a person. Like being sort of blah is, I think, one of the worst things that I could ever be. Like it's just I'm not even making an impression really. So I, like it's fine, you know. It's just about fine for me, and I I hate that I use that descriptor so much, but like it really is kind of the best way of describing how I feel. Like it's it's fine, you know. I feel like a lot of our listeners equate your fine scale to how low or high the tone of your voice is when you say fine. That's, that's the true. higher <laughs> pitch you say fine, the worse something is. You're absolutely right. And I just put in like like this the sprinkling the, the tiniest sprinkle of highness on that one because it is like it's fine. It's fine. You know, it's, it's fine. fine. It's, yeah, it's it's not like it's fine. No, no, it's not. That'd be oof, that's like a two for me. No, that's yeah, you know, not a two. That'd just be bad. But mm-hmm. you get the idea. Okay, Backroad Vanilla Porter, I think we are going back and forth probably enough where we can just rate it. What do you think? This beer, like I said, it's solid. It's good for what it is. Still want more vanilla. I will let this next one I have uh, go all the way to like room temp before I try it. But as it is, what I have in my glass, it feels like a 6-2. 6-2, I'm going for a flat 6. It's whatever. It's fine. Get it if you can, if you'd like. Um, drive up to Klamath Falls to get it in, in, in Oregon and let us know what you think. If- yeah, if this was a pit stop beer on the way to somewhere else and you just needed to stretch your legs and slam a porter and, and stretch your back. This would be great for that. Great for that. Great for that. Yeah, don't maybe take it to a bottle share with a bunch of people who love craft beer. They will shoot you down pretty quick. Unless they're yeah. not dicks, then I guess they wouldn't do that. They just pick thanks for bringing beer. Yeah, and they might appreciate a seldom shared style. There you go. Way to, way to spin it in a popular way. Positive mm-hmm. way. Okay, you ready for Hot and Bothered? I am, man. I am ready. Okay, mine's pretty brief. Um, aside from no longer, or I'm taking a test. I've got a little home testing kit that I'm going to use tomorrow and mail it to a lab. But I feel great. I don't feel nearly as covid as I did last week. So that's a pretty big hot in my life. But because of all this staying at home I've been doing for the past 10 days, I have binged both WandaVision and The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, which are Marvel uh, TV-type shows that are available on Disney+. Plus. Now, they're not just Marvel type. They're Marvel. They're Marvel. They're Marvel adjacent MCU stuff. Not like not like uh, Luke Cage or Jessica Jones. Like not street level stuff, but like hero level stuff. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, okay. definitely. Um, WandaVision's kind of old at this point. I'm not going to waste my time aside from saying do watch it. It's very good. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier follows Anthony Mackie's The Falcon and the guy that plays Bucky Barnes, The Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan. Um, and they're sort of they're sort of teaming up that has happened about five, I think five months after the reversal of Thanos snapping people back into existence. And there's this new uprising of a rebellion called the flag smashers who think that life was better when half the people were gone and the Falcon and the winter soldier with the help of a new captain America, um, have to go stop them basically. And that's kind of, Mm. it's like seven episodes are about 45 minutes long and if you like Marvel stuff and you like sort of marinating in that universe, I think it's a pretty good watch. Even if you don't love it and you just kind of like the Marvel stuff, pretty good use of time. I think performances are pretty good. The new Captain America character causes a lot of discomfort in the idea that he could ever replace Chris Evans. And that's kind of the point. And I really like that vibe. So I think I think check it out if you get a chance. Okay. Interesting. I watched the first episode and it was a little bit in its feelings for me. How do you mean? There was There was a lot of of just very emo vibes. It was, it felt very sad and very um, like monologue about feelings and like just a lot of 
long looks into the cameras with emotions like yes did it pick up or did it maintain that sentimental tone or did it get more action forward would you say it's more action forward or more like uh plot driven like drama forward or is it a good mix it definitely picks up i don't know that i'd agree that well maybe the first episode was a bit sentimental but it definitely has that sort of um emotional heft that like some of the more certainly like a thor ragnarok doesn't have it has that because mm. it's also like it's bucky barnes who is maybe the stariest of staring cut. And they even make a joke about that in, in the show. It's like a running thing. And he's like, he's like very emo and like, he's a grumpy old, like hundred year old soldier. And they deal with a lot of that sort of vibiness, but it definitely picks up. There's a lot of pretty good actions some pretty great fight scenes, way better than mortal Kombat fight scenes, um, which is okay. kind of what I was coming off of when I started it. So I was like, this is great. I love it. It's so good. Nice. Um, yeah. I, th- okay. I think if you're interested, stick with it. Cause there's, I mean, there's definitely like a scale, a sliding scale of, uh, seriousness yes. in the, the MCU. So yes. I was curious where that felt. Cause yeah, it could be like super like end game serious or like just super silly. Like, you know, is this the, the, what is it? The, but the, the guardians of the galaxy. Right. Yeah. I, I guess it does take itself pretty seriously. And, and you, as a viewer are like, you guys are doing some sort of, I like, it's, it's hard not to be like, couldn't you just like call any of the hundred main characters that could help you with this? Like, is it really this tough of a situation? Like, I think you guys are making it harder than it has to be. And by proxy, mm. like making it way emotionally heavier than it has to be. But mm. if you're fine with that and kind of the, uh, the grittiness, I would call it grittiness more than like sentimentality. Okay. And I think that works. I, I think that their dynamic, Anthony Mackie and uh, Sebastian Stan work pretty well together. Okay. Good enough. Yeah. So it sounds like it's got, it's got its niche and uh, yeah. I could be into something like that. I like gritty. Yeah. Falcon and Winter Soldier, Disney Plus. Check it out. Let me know if you get a chance to watch it. Nice. Very good. How about you, man? Check that out. Uh, So I have been really high on a new show that premiered, I believe, last month on HBO Max called The Nevers. There's four episodes out now, and I'm having to wait till next Sunday to watch the next Uh, one. So it, it is... Uh, sort of appointment based, but like the new episodes come out every Sunday on demand. Um, I am really enjoying this show. It is. Wait a minute. I just looked, I'm just looking at a poster. Are the words high fantasy going to come out of your mouth? Yes. (laughs) Okay, great. Go. (laughs) This is your your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is scratching a lot of itches. It scratches the itch of like when game of Thrones went really deep with like the magic stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was like still grounded in like a, a barbaric era, like a sword and steel era yeah, of yeah. humanity. But then there was this other stuff. So essentially you have like late 1800s Victorian London. Um, and like you have this supernatural event that gives a bunch of people, primarily women, like powers. Mm-hmm. And so we're introduced to this sort of, Professor Xavier's home for gifted children type uh, situation yes. in Victorian England with mainly women. So it's a, a super amazing female driven cast. Uh, and there's a lot of drama. It's a hard R, by the way. So this is not high fantasy you should watch with your children. There's mm-hmm. lots of violence. It's very gritty, very grimy, pretty gnarly, really. I mean, this is like, I feel like this is HBO kind of tapping into some of their potential of like just wild stuff that they could make. Uh, Yeah. It's been pretty cool though, man. I'm really enjoying it. Like 
the first episode is one of the more unique and fun and captivating first episodes I've seen, and it really doesn't let you down. Um, also, the show is created and executive produced by Joss Whedon. Yeah, in so. case people didn't pick up on that sick transition you had. Uh, Joss Whedon, which is why I'm sure you brought it up, sir, directed Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, so it was a perfect segue from Marvel into this. Yeah, that's pure happenstance, but I will take it. <laughs> I will take it all day long. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been super into it, man. It's just really cool. Like, if anything I just described sounds cool to you, you'll probably dig it because it's. It reminds me of, like I said, like steampunk, all female X Men nice. in London with like, yeah. And Nick Frost plays a guy called the Beggar King. If you don't know who that is by name, you'll remember him from. Uh, Oh God, Shaun of, uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead, the, the one that's not does. Simon Pegg. Yeah, yeah. His yeah, his uh, his his fluffier buddy, his fluffy friend. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So out of the two of them, he would be the one that looks like me. Not I am Max. Simon Pegg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely Nick Frost in this relationship, <laughs> dude. Let's go as that as at any really Halloween. Funny, yeah. That would be. Oh All right, I'm God, I that love sounds it. great. Um. Anyways, check it out, man. It's it's the Nevers. Wait, can Patreon H- people be the zombies? Dude, that, oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> Let's do a bar crawl where you and I are just running from all of our patrons. <laughs> yes. Are we the, Are we Nick Frost and Simon Pegg yeah, from yeah. Hot Fuzz? You no, know, in that case, we would be, or although we could do that, like they could just be cult members, uh, like, yeah. hot, like Hot Fuzz. That could yeah. work too. We could do it. We could do it a Friday and a Saturday. That'd be fun. Get we your could costume do two nights. Patreon. Two nights of uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost bar crawl. That'd be great. Yeah, because I could get the uh, you know the shirt he wore and then be a zombie just with the video game controller. Totally. Yeah, it'd be great. That would be awesome. Uh, the last thing that I have is I had to, with heavy heart and tired arms, mm. uh, help our good friend Keith Beck pack up and move this last weekend. That is both a hot and a bothered because I'm happy for him. He's moving up to Portland. I think mm. that's pretty common knowledge by now. Um but it was also kind of a bummer because I'll miss him and I'm selfish, but he's doing the right thing. But yeah, it was, it was uh, all day Saturday and for me, half a Sunday because I had to do a dump run and stuff, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Uh, that was my weekend was getting to hang out and, and pack his whole house up with him and about, I don't know, probably six of our friends. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time, a little emotional at the end, but sure. You know, we'll be seeing him around, but that was that was my weekend. That's why my back's sore. Oh, I'm sure he appreciated the help. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. We saved his bacon, and he was able to get out uh, earlier than he expected, and and it went well. But it was, uh, yeah, one of those mixed bag type of days, man. Totally, kind of just s- somewhat sad to see him go, but he's a treasure, and we had him around for quite a while, and uh, I look forward to him getting back down to Chico, and it's a good excuse to get to Portland. So if you're a tourist. Travels take you to Portland and you're up there to drink beer. Drop the old Keith Becker line. Yeah, fair. Um, all right, dude. You got anything else this week? I think that's it. I think we're there. I think I uh don't have a movie or beers lined up. So, like I've said before, it's just a mystery as much as it is for you as it is for me. We'll find out. I don't know. All right. Well, the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi and all of our friends on Patreon. Again, you can join us to support this show at patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema for a dollar a week. It's the cost of a pretty shitty beer at a bar or a great beer at the handlebar uh, during happy hour. It's four bucks, four to five bucks a month. If you want to support the show, do that. It'd be really awesome. If you want to support the show, but don't want to give us a few dollars a month, just give us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts or anywhere that podcasts can be reviewed. 
We love reviews. They are the best. Unless they're one star, don't give us those reviews. We do not want those at all. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Um, that's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi, and we're Fresh Hop Cinema. Remember, drink good beer, watch good movies, and be good to each other. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.